Well, good morning. It's my privilege to be with you again today. Uh, it's been great being here the past about six weeks. So, hearing the word of God for Stephen and other uh, various people, and so I'm I'm privileged to bring you the word this morning. Uh, this morning we're going to be looking at Psalm one. So that is on page four forty eight in your pew Bible, and I do encourage you to have it open to the passage as we're going to be thoroughly examining it. Uh, this passage has been a great blessing to me, uh, a passage that, I, that has challenged me and uh, challenged me to uh, righteousness, um, but also uh, challenged me to, to call the wicked toward Christ and in, in seeing their uh, ultimate end. So Psalm 1 begins, it says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the blessing it is. And God, it is our heart that we would delight in your law. God, make us with this a righteous man to light in your law, to meditate on it day and night. And, and may we see the blessings that comes through that. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So your outline, it can be a little confusing. It's not exactly in order, but on the screen it will be in order, so just uh, mind that. So this psalm, uh, the first of the 150 psalms, uh, Spurgeon called it the preface psalm. Uh, because from this first psalm, the text upon which the whole of the psalms make up a divine sermon. And it offers a view of two kingdoms. The first kingdom being the kingdom of God. And the second, the kingdom of Satan. Now the one is, is the wide gate leading to destruction. And the other, the narrow gate behind a narrow way through which few enter, which leads to life. And so it's with this antithesis that we begin the psalm. It contains three sections. All of three uh, we'll be looking at today. The first section is contained in verses 1 to 3, speaking of the ways of the righteous. Then verse 4, we'll see in the contrast, the wicked. And then finally in verse 5 and 6, we'll, begin, we'll be able to see the end of the wicked and the righteous. So in verse 1, we begin, it says, Blessed is the man. Now just as nearly every poem in the Psalter it begins with the announcement of the subject. We're going to be talking about the righteous man, the blessed righteous man, and the ways that he takes toward blessedness. Now, this might remind you of the most famous sermon ever preached, the, the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, where Jesus outlines what we call the Beatitudes. However, the Beatitudes are not just found in Matthew 5 or Luke 6, but rather the Beatitudes are found throughout Scripture. Any, any scripture that, that begins, uh, blessed is or blessed are, uh, is, is considered a beatitude in scripture. And so that's what we're looking at here. Consider this a beatitude. 
And so in the expression of Beatitudes in Scripture, the author is declaring that the recipient of the blessing will often be a recipient of happiness, felicity, satisfaction, and well-being. And so it's from this perspective that we see um, this blessed man. He, he will receive happiness and he will receive joy as a result of what he does here in this passage. And so it, this demands the question, what does this righteous man do? And so it begins, it says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Now this passage, it, often people see it as progressive depravity, of the, the idea of first a man begins walking in the counsel of the wicked, then he begins standing in the way of sinners, and then finally sits in the seat of scoffers. Some would disagree with that, but that, that's really not the point I want to get across I think each line opens our eyes to see how we are to avoid the wicked. And so the, so the scripture says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. Because the godly man recognizes the foolishness of the wicked. He, he rejects all of their counsel because he realizes that the counsel of God is far greater. He views all of his decisions, all that he does, through the lens of scripture. And the Psalms continues. He said... That the blessed man stands not in the way of sinners. Now this, this blessed godly man does not surround himself in the ways of the world. He, he selects friends that push him toward Christ rather than away from Christ. And it reminds us of the words of 1 Corinthians 15 when Paul says, Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. So this demands our consideration. Are we surrounding ourselves by, by, with people who are pushing us toward Christ? Or are we surrounding ourselves with idolaters who, who idolize themselves or idolize others? Consider, consider the relationships that you have. Are you surrounding yourself with angry people pushing you towards anger? Are you surrounding yourself with gossips, gossips pushing you towards gossip? You see, the, the Christian life, in, in the Christian life, we are, we are to push others towards Christ, not them Push us away from him. And so I would ask you to examine your relationships with others. Certainly we are to be friends of the lost. Jesus himself was friends of sinners. But he called them to repentance. And that is our job, to call others to repentance as we walk in the counsel of God. Now finally, in the last line of verse 1, it says that the blessed man sits not in the seat of scoffers. Now this scoffer is one who mocks, who ridicules, and scorns the belief of another. He is found sitting. Now sitting in Scripture is a place of prominence. In, in Scripture we see, see men sitting at the city gates. Those would be the elders of, of the town. Kings would sit in places of honor. Judges sit in, in hearing a case. And teachers, rabbis, and wise men will sit and teach their students. Jesus himself is found sitting at the right hand of the power of God. And so this seat is a place of prominence, as displayed in this passage. But this seat of prominence is not in the kingdom of God. It is in the kingdom of the enemy. The scoffer makes a mockery of sin. He makes a mockery of judgment. He makes a mockery of God. And he even stands in judgment of God himself. Now, C.S. Lewis wrote on this in one of his essays. He wrote on God in the dock. Lewis said, the ancient, the ancient man approached God as the accused person approaches his judge. 
For the modern man, the roles are quite reversed. He is the judge. God is in the dock. He is quite a kindly judge. If God should have a reasonable defense for being the God for its war, poverty, and disease, he is ready to listen to it. The trial may even end in God's acquittal. But the important thing is that the man is on the bench and that God is in the dock. And I would assert that even in, in today's culture, that, that man is not a kindly judge. He rejects all that God is. He, he is. he is not kind to the reasonable defense that God has for poverty and disease and war. Because as we read through Scripture, we see the reason for that. We see the reason in the fall. And so this righteous man, he flees the seat of the scoffer. He knows the great foolishness with which this seat comes. However, we cannot end here. The blessing... Is, is not precipitated simply on avoided, avoiding sin, but rather we continue. The psalmist goes on and he begins to describe the path toward blessedness, showing the positive aspects. He says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. This morning we talked about this we, in reading the scripture of delighting in the law of God. Because the psalmist is saying here that the blessed man The righteous man lives instructed by the word of God. Rather than walking in the counsel of the wicked, he walks in the counsel of God. Now, I'd like you to consider when this passage was written. This passage was written during a time when when only the first five books of the... When they only had the first five books of the Bible, what is called the Torah. And it was during this time of the Old Covenant, with all the commands that God had established, that the psalmist is is saying that this blessed man delights in the law of the Lord. Because he realizes that it's only by the grace of God that this law is bestowed upon him. And so I want you to consider where we are. We have have all 66 books of Scripture. We We have seen... Jesus himself revealed in the New Testament, the Old Testament, starting the Proto-Evangelium, where, where God said that he would send a man who would crush the head of the serpent, serpent through all the prophecy. Then Jesus comes, and he lives a perfect life, dies the perfect death, is raised. And then we see in Revelation that he will one day come for his church again. And so, even more than the psalmist here, we should delight in the law of the Lord. We should delight in this scripture, because through it we can see all that God has for us. All, we can see the beginning and we can see the end. We can be confident in the end. Amen. And yet for some reason, we don't delight. I know in my own heart, it's, it's often difficult to delight in this, in this book. I, I don't long for it like this blessed man does. And so perhaps we would ask God that he would give us a longing for this book. But not only does this blessed man delight in the law of the Lord... Later in verse 2, it says, And on his law he meditates day and night. The law of God permeates all of his thinking. Now, our culture has completely destroyed our understanding of meditation. Meditation in the eyes of culture is an elimination of, of your thought process. But what we're talking about here in the Psalms is a mind-filling process. It's a process of filling your thoughts with the words of the God that you love. It's a pondering, a considering, and a cherishing, and at times even the audibly proclaiming the truth of God. It's a process of considering what God has done. It's, in, it's falling in love with Jesus. And so we should read it, and we should memorize it, because 
this, this passage demands that we study it, that we memorize it, and that we devote ourselves to the Scripture. And so now, as, as we see this, this understanding of what this righteous man looks like, the psalmist gives us a picture. A picture of a tree. Now, when I was studying this, it hit me how much God loves trees. In fact, there are over 250 references to trees in Scripture. Now, living in Virginia, we have a lot of trees. But in the Palestinian world, there are very few trees. And so these, these trees were an image of abundance and, and were rare in nature. To have a, a wooden structure was rare because wood is so uncommon in Palestine. And so we have to understand the passage in light of this. And so the psalmist says that the blessed man is like a tree planted. This tree is not a wild tree, but rather is planted by the Father. Jesus said that, that those who are planted by the Father will never be uprooted, but those who are not will be cast away. And so, so this blessed person is planted by God. But even more, he's planted by streams of water. And this stream of water represents the inexhaustible waters of Scripture. Because the righteous man establishes himself on the word of God that is never exhausting in nourishment. The word of God will never exhaust in nourishment. No matter how much you understand it, there will always be more to understand of who God is and what God has done. And so this tree, as a result of the sustenance of the waters, yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. Because the righteous man produces sustained fruit that is lasting and does not grow stagnant. This tree is not simply alive, but growing its fruits for the approaching harvest. And the call of righteousness is not simply about moving from death to life, but rather entering a process of growth towards sanctification that, that produces fruit in its season. And it's in seasons of trial that this righteous man exhibits this fruit that the Father has planted. And so finally, in describing the righteous, the psalmist says, In all that he does, he prospers. Now, this idea that the author probably had of prosperity was most likely material prosperity. Now, throughout the Old Testament, the reward for godly behavior was revealed through the good things of life, such as uh, an established family, children, or sustenance, or honor, or success. And it's very easy in our Christian culture in the... uh, in the prosperity gospel age often to reject um, these, uh, these material possessions. But, but God, throughout Scripture, throughout the Old Testament, attributed the fear of the Lord to the, to the bringing of, of blessings, such as Job. Job was one of the richest men to ever live. And Abraham and Joseph in Egypt rising to prominence. And then David. And all these men feared God and as a result prospered. And so material prosperity is not a bad thing. Material prosperity is a good thing if married with the fear of the Lord. Think, think of the advantages that we have if we, are, if we are prosperous. We can go to areas like Ghana and, and throughout the nations because of the prosperity that God has given us. But even more so, through the revelation of the New Testament, I think Jesus provides us with an even deeper picture of prosperity. Jesus provides us with an otherworldly picture of prosperity, an eschatological view. He, he talks about rewards from the Father as a result of us of, pray, of praying in private and, and fasting in private. 
And, and these rewards are, are things such as the crown of righteousness, the crown of life, the crown of glory, all things that we will receive after this life. And so this prosperity that, this, that the psalmist is, is saying, yes, it can include material prosperity, and sometimes it does. But you, you can bet your life on the fact that, that if you will pursue God, if you will place your faith in Christ and, and live for Him, that, that you will re- be a recipient of these rewards from the Father. And so after having seen the way of the righteous, the psalmist contrasts the way of the righteous with the wicked in just two lines. He shows us that, what the way of the wicked looks like. He says, The way of the wicked are not so. And so we begin to see the heart of the psalmist for the wicked. He says, whatever you see of the righteous man, the wicked man does the opposite. And, and rather than rejecting the, the foolishness of the counsel of the wicked and the way of sinners and the seat of scoffers, he, he delights in it. Because they begin living lives instructed by the thoughts of man. They live their lives instructed by the counsel of the wicked, by the way of sinners, by the seat of scoffers, eventually leading to their ultimate destruction. And so, and so these, these wicked men are not trees at all. They're not stagnant trees, but rather they, the psalmist calls them chaff. He says, but they, but they're like chaff that the wind drives away. Now, chaff... Is, is a part of grain. I had to look this up. I'm not a farmer. So I'm not an expert. But so you have chaff. And so you have this pile of grain. And so what the farmer would do is they would take this winnowing fork or winnowing, winnowing fan and they would throw it up into the air. And so as the wind blows, the wind would catch the lighter particles, which would be the chaff, that which is absolutely worthless to the farmer. The chaff provides no sustenance whatsoever. And so the, the picture here is that this chaff is utterly worthless. The wicked produce no fruit, no fruit that is good for anyone. And so it's, it's through this, this metaphor that we understand this scripture. And this is directly contrasted with the planted tree. Consider the life and the sustenance and the fruit that the, that the planted tree provides contrasted with the worthlessness of the chaff. And so finally... In the, in the final section of this passage, the psalmist declares the ultimate end of both the righteous and the wicked. He says, Therefore, the, wick, the ungodly will not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Because the wicked walk in the counsel of the wicked, stand in the way of sinners, and sit in the seat of scoffers, and most importantly, have not been planted by the Father for fruitfulness, they walk towards judgment. In great contrast to where they were before, sitting in the seat of scoffers, they are now sitting before God. No longer are they on the bench, but God is on the bench. And they cannot even stand before Him. Certainly they'll be at judgment, but they will not even be found worthy to stand before Him. And so as they come before the King, in all of His honor, in all of His glory, in all of His holiness... They, they, can, they recognize their wickedness and they cannot even stand before him crying out for mercy and acquittal that will not suffice at this point because they, their life is over and they will be found guilty, worthy of judgment. A judgment that they rightly deserve as men who have ad- attempted to dethrone the king of kings. But the psalmist goes on. He says, Nor sinners in the congregation 
of the righteous. Now the presence of the lost in the congregation will no longer exist. Those who have never been imparted righteousness through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ will be found out as chaff among the wheat. Jesus' winnowing fork will lead them to judgment. However, we read in verse 6, For the Lord knows the way of the righteous. Or more accurately, the Lord is knowing the way of the righteous. The Lord cares for the righteous. In the midst of trials, in the midst of pain, in the midst of temptation, the Lord's ear is attentive to the righteous. But not only does God know of it, He experienced it. Centuries after the the psalmist ever wrote this, God Himself experienced life as a human through coming in the God-man, Jesus Christ. And in every respect was tempted as we are, yet without sin. And so God's righteous men can be confident in the fact that they walk in the protection of the Lord, both in the midst of life and at the conclusion in the final judgment. The wicked, however, the psalmist goes on, do not find rest. He says, but the way of the wicked will perish. This Hebrew verb here used is, it means to wander off. The wicked, as opposed to the righteous, who, who are wandering away from God, and, and God will not save them. Because they are, are, are headed towards destruction. They reject all that God is. And so, not only are they perishing, but even their way. All that the wicked man is, all that he was, and all that he ever could have been, is destroyed. And so, as we come to the conclusion of this, of this passage, as we consider the great blessedness of, of righteousness, that of sustained fruit, fruit that, that is profitable to worship God, for, to proclaim the glories of the King, and to call others to repentance, and, and the blessing of prosperity in the eyes of God, to be, to be rewarded by God, and the protection of the Lord as we walk through, through this life that is, is so overwhelmed with sin, we, we can be confident that we are protected by the Lord. But as we read this passage, we begin to see a crisis. Because we begin to see that those who, those who walk in the counsel of the wicked, those who stand in the way of sinners, those who sit in the seat of scoffers, those people are us. We, we cannot be this righteous man that the psalmist is talking about. And so, but the beautiful thing about this passage is, is that there is one who perfectly models this passage. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. He walked not in the counsel of the wicked. He stood not in the path of sinners. He sat not in the seat of scoffers. He delighted fully in the law of the Lord. And He alone fulfills the demands of Psalm 1. And even more beautifully, this God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ, can impart to you His righteousness. Perhaps you find yourself this morning as the chaff among the wheat, not a genuine recipient of the righteousness of God. And on the authority of God's word, I can say that there are perhaps many seated here. There are many here in the congregation of the righteous who are actually wicked. They are chaff among wheat. And so I implore you this morning, as you see yourself in light of this passage, 
desperately wicked, living, instructed by the thoughts of man, fruitless in the eyes of God. Respond in faith to the Lord Jesus Christ. Repent and believe in the gospel that the Son of God has come in the person of Jesus Christ to live a sinless life, to die the perfect death for your sake, rose on the third day, and will one day return and says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so I ask, place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and be planted by the Father. Because as I said before, anyone who is not planted by the Father will be uprooted and cast into hell. But it's not just for the lost, this passage. This, this passage is for us as Christians. And I want you to consider yourself. Consider yourself in light of this passage. Are you avoiding the instruction of the wicked? Are, are you avoiding... <laughs> Are you avoiding those who who push you away from Christ? Are you being molded by the Word of God as you study it, as you memorize it, as you meditate on it? When sleep evades you in the night, are you considering the Word of God? Are the thoughts of God your thoughts? Are you producing sustained fruit that is characterized by continued growth in the the truths of Psalm 1? Because even though that we can't fully... um, fulfill the demands of Psalm 1, sanctification demands that we begin to look like this person. We begin to delight in the fear of the Lord. We begin to reject the counsel of man. We begin to love and accept the counsel of God. And are you trusting the Lord for your protection in this life and the next, knowing that that He knows all that there is about you. He knows your entire way. And so I, I want us to consider the blessedness of, of righteousness, that, that we are, are able to delight in the law of God, and that we, in, in the midst of that, are able to be prosperous for the glory of God, to call others to repentance as a result of the fruit in our own life. When they look at us, they see something different. They see Christ in us. And so consider yourself, consider how you look to the world and, and call them to repentance. Consider, consider your positional righteousness and walk as one worthy of your calling. Father, we do love your word. We love uh, your gospel that, that righteousness can be imparted to us through the Lord Jesus Christ and that that righteousness comes simply through faith in Jesus. And so, Lord, I ask that uh, here today, God, that we would be challenged uh, not by me or my words, but rather by your Spirit at work in our heart, uh, that, that you would push us on a path toward righteousness, toward this blessed life that you speak of. And so, Lord, we thank you, we praise you for your word, and we praise things in Christ's name. Amen.